If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 7. As I mentioned a moment ago, we're finishing up Mark 7 today. As we go to God's Word, let's go to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we are gathered in Your presence and we bow our hearts before You. Father, we acknowledge that we are a needy people. In particular, we need the conviction, the comfort, and the calling of Your Word. And so we pray, Lord, that You, by Your Spirit, would open the Scriptures to us. Write Your Word upon our hearts. May Your Word teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Some of you may be familiar with that hugely successful advertising campaign a few years ago from Verizon Wireless. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Indeed, how many of us have not said that even this past week when someone we were talking to was going in and out of good cell phone coverage? Can you hear me now? Now that's a great question to ask when we're dealing with spotty cell phone coverage. But that question doesn't work with the deaf. And we will see Jesus' encounter with a deaf man. Not only a deaf man, but a mute man today in Mark 7, verses 31 through 37. I hope you'll have an opportunity to read the Something to Think About quote uh, today. It's a one I used in the first few weeks in our series in Mark because I think it captures the significance of the gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And in particular, um, Mark's angle that he takes as he most likely took Peter's sermons and compiled them and put them together. Indeed, we believe Mark the man is Peter's interpreter. Mark has a method, a docudrama of sorts, where he's taking various instances in the life and ministry of Jesus and arranging them, mostly chronologically, but more than that, thematically. Uh, As you know, he's presenting in the first half of Mark, who is Jesus? And in the second half of Mark, what did Jesus come to do? The person of work, the person of Jesus, and the work of Jesus. Mark has a message. For us, It's the gospel, a message that's centered upon Jesus. It's about Him, but it's also proclaimed by Him. Jesus, the man, fully human, fully divine, the Christ, the Son of God. He has a mission that He has come to earth to fulfill, and He has a message, as we saw in Mark 1, 14 and 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we've been learning all along that Jesus is, though not really from the world's recognition, Jesus is nonetheless the king who brings with him the kingdom of God. We've been seeing that Mark really is a great shortest catechism where we're asking and answering three questions. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And the third question that cannot be ignored How should someone respond to the person and work of Jesus? 
Today we come to the healing of a deaf man. This is one of three incidents in the life and ministry of Jesus that is unique to Mark. In other words, there's no parallel account in Matthew, in Luke, or John. It's only in Mark. And that should alert you that Mark's got a specific purpose. God has a specific purpose for it being in here, in this witness to Jesus' life and ministry. Verse 31, I will begin reading. Join with me as I read verses 31 through 37. Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Epaphratha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus, as we see, is remaining in Gentile territory. He goes north to Sidon and then southeast to the Decapolis. The Decapolis, well, the last time we were there in that region, Jesus had healed the Gerasene demoniac. So how did people know about Jesus in that region? How? Through Jesus' previous work there. And the man who wanted to go Jesus, go with Jesus, but Jesus had commanded to stay and speak back home. That's how the people here and today we pick back up. And who knows how many months have taken place since that time as Jesus has been in Galilee and out of Galilee for his ministry. Now our approach to our text this morning will be very straightforward. We'll take a look at the condition of the man, the work of Jesus, and the response of the people. This really is a text that lays itself out um, to be preached and proclaimed in this way. The condition of the man, the work of Jesus, and the response of the people. Let's take a look in verse 32 at the condition of the man. Notice they, that is maybe family or friends, we don't know, they brought and begged. Throughout Mark, we've seen people coming to Jesus or people being brought to Jesus. Think about it. Not only do we see people coming to Jesus themselves, we see people being brought to Jesus by others. Last week, we saw a woman come to Jesus and ask. But here, the man cannot even ask because he cannot speak, or if he can speak, it's unintelligible. Someone else, the they, had to speak for him. Notice there's a problem with hearing and speech. He's deaf and has a speech impediment. Some translations say he spoke with difficulty. He could hardly talk. Now this hearing problem is absolute. He is deaf. However, is he deaf from birth or death later in life? I, I don't 
our text does not make that clear, and it's really not important. The point is, he cannot hear presently. But the speaking problem is not absolute, because he can speak, but it's unintelligible. He is, has a speech impediment, not correctly. And those of you that know people who, who have been born deaf, they have trouble speaking because they can't hear themselves talk, and as it were, correct the pronunciation and correct volume. Or you may have known people who have slowly gone deaf and it affects their speech. Now, this is a rare word, speech impediment. It's used nowhere else in the New Testament. And it's only used once in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And where do we find that word? It's in Isaiah 35 that was read earlier, verse 6. Mute. Now, deafness. We often think of um, John Newton saying, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And yet in the Bible, not only is blindness a helpful picture, a metaphor of a spiritual condition, but so is deafness. When I did a little search um, just of Jesus's um, miracles associated with death in the New Testament, it wasn't that many. And you don't read about this physical impairment too much. But most of the references we see in the New Testament, but especially in the Old Testament, um, are figurative or symbolic of spiritual stubbornness or willful refusal to hear and obey the Word of God. Both in Jeremiah chapter 5 and Ezekiel chapter 12, we read of people who have ears, but they do not hear. They have ears, but they do not hear. And Israel is in Isaiah 42, portrayed as a servant with ears, but not hearing and obeying. Hear, you deaf, Isaiah writes. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The ear is synonymous, as it were, with the heart and mind as this organ of cognition, of knowing and understanding. And true hearing involves listening and understanding. And Mark, as you know, in the parable of the sower in chapter 4, has told us that what, set pe- what sets people apart, what distinguishes people, what puts them in the inside or the outside with Jesus or not with Jesus is hearing. We read these words in Mark 4 verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. They hear the word and they accept it. They receive it. It changes them. The condition of the man prompted action to be taken by his friends and family. Now with this man now brought into Jesus' presence, his condition prompts Jesus to take action. Now let's see what Jesus does in response. And so let's take a look at the work of Jesus from verses 33 through 35. In a word, Jesus works another miracle. But it's not some naked display of power but rather it's a redemptive sign. It's pointing to something else. Um, Children, um, we talk about the Lord's Supper, Supper as being a sign and a seal. And as a sign, the Lord's Supper points, not to itself, but points to Jesus and His benefits. 
And um, you might be on the road and you see a sign and it says um, uh, Cincinnati, five miles. And that's not Cincinnati there, but it's a sign saying that Cincinnati is ahead five miles. So this is a redemptive sign. It's going to point to something. And so we need to really take into account and consider the teaching purpose of this miracle. Notice it's private, not public. Jesus is not working to draw attention. Think about today's televangelist. Think about today's healer. Private? Are you kidding? No, it's public. It's on TV so that they can get the contributions. Jesus is not like this. He takes the man aside so he doesn't make a spectacle of the healing. We, we hear of Jesus being referred to as the great physician. And think about his bedside manner. Privately, compassionately with this man. He brings him as it were. We, don't, we think it might be a home. We don't know. It's he brings him into the exam room, not out into the waiting room. He sits down as it were has a great bedside manner. He deals with him privately with dignity, with seriousness, with tenderness. Now to be sure, Jesus ministers to the crowds, will be there next week with the feeding of the 4,000. But here, Jesus is ministering, as it were, one-on-one. This is a good time to step back and see that this is how God deals with people. Inwardly, quietly, speaks personally, talks, Everybody's got a different story of how they came to faith in Jesus. To be sure, it involves repentance and faith. And it's got their unique signature on it, whether you grow up in a Christian home and there's mom and dad are teaching the Word of God and you never know a day apart from knowing and trusting in Jesus, or you come from just the worst possible human situation and you know Jesus. You, you know that most everybody will say, you know, God met me. He, 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 he knew what it took to bring me to faith. It's not an assembly line. It's not a cookie cutter. Jesus here is individual and personal. Look at these six actions Jesus takes. Now he takes them aside, works with him privately, but look at the six actions that Jesus took. Jesus puts his fingers in this man's ears As if to say, Jesus spits. You cannot get much more intimate than saliva. It's personal. The other day I was commenting on the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And human blood, as you know, can both be life to people who need a blood transfusion or it can be the passer on of disease and infection. But sharing spit... It just doesn't get much more intimate and personal than this. And Jesus then, we, we, we assume that he spits on his fingers and then touches this man's tongue as if to say something. But then Jesus looks up to heaven in prayer because Jesus is acknowledging where the source of power is. Jesus, as it were, is worshiping God the Father. But Jesus sighs. In this prayer, we read, And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him. It's a prayer. It's a groaning. There's a deep sorrow and anger at the effects of the fall of man. But then Jesus speaks. 
And we see him speaking in Aramaic, the everyday language, and it's translated for us as be opened. And it's a significant word choice because it implies that the opening is not just of the man's ears and as it were his tongue, but his whole person, not just physical hearing, but he is being opened. Notice that in this healing, Jesus prays with and for the man. Jesus is hands-on with the man. Jesus is approachable and accessible. Jesus, once again, he, he sighs. Mark doesn't often, uh, Mark's the guy that says, Jesus says, does this, does that, goes here, does this. Here, Jesus, here Mark lets us know, as it were, how Jesus feels. There is an emotion, humans sigh. Many of you have undergone great difficulties in your life. Suffering, financial suffering, physical, job loss, difficult relationships with extended family. Um, and, and there's this mistaken idea that you come to church and you pretend that everything is fine. My friends, church, worship, God's dwelling is not a sigh-free zone. Read the Psalms. If you can't get to the Psalms, go to the index, the alphabetical index of the Trinity hymnal, and you will count over 70 hymns. Are you ready? Over 70 hymns that start with a sigh. Oh, oh, sighs of delight and joy, but also sighs of sorrow. Well, what is Jesus doing? Did you hear all those actions? Fingers and ears, touching tongue, looking up to heaven. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is using sign language. Now, people try to find deep, mysterious meaning to all these actions of Jesus, but it's rather simple, but it's an overlooked explanation. Jesus is adapting his communication to the deaf and mute man. This man would have expressed himself through sign language, not like sign language that we may be used to here where individual letters of the alphabet are signed as well as words, but just sign language like pointing to food like he needs it and pointing here to come here. He, Jesus is adapting himself to the communication mode of this man. Jesus, therefore, is showing deep sympathy, personal engagement with, with him. I was in preparation for this. I was reading uh, Leviticus 19. You know what we read in Leviticus 19? Do not curse the deaf. We also read, do not put a stumbling block before the blind. Do not curse the deaf. My friends, Jesus, in fulfilling all aspects of the law, is not just not cursing the deaf. He is blessing the deaf with his presence and his power. Jesus is speaking through his hands, as it were, and the movement of his head. He's speaking so the man will understand that this healing that's about to be performed is not done by magic, but by the power of God. Jesus is awakening within this man faith by encouraging him to expect something, to expect healing. 
Again, Jesus learned this man's language in order to speak to him. So we also should be willing to come into people's worlds, right? We don't sit around and wait for people to come to us. We go to where people are. It's the Great Commission. We go. And as they come, indeed they come and are gathered with God's people where they are taught everything that Jesus commanded. You know, it's, it's, we're to go into people's world, we're to speak their language, but you know what? We can go too far because we also need in going to people, and as we heard this morning in this wonderful class on the law of God, we are to call people to repent. We are call people to repent. Well, what happened to this man His ears were opened and his tongue was released. We read in verse 25. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Literally, the chain of his tongue was broken. The chain of his tongue was broken. He spoke plainly. For a deaf person, clearly expressed spoken language must usually be learned over time. This is an extraordinary miracle. There's no surgery and then speech therapy. Note, this man is commanded only to hear. He's not commanded to speak. But nonetheless, he begins to speak plainly. Is he being disobedient? No, because the difficulty in speaking is simply a consequence of being unable to hear. So his hearing is healed and he begins to speak plainly. My uh, grandparents and my mom uh, grew up, um, and my dad for that matter, during the World War II days. And I remember my grandparents down at the beach um, where they lived during World War II uh, were telling me expressions that were used during the war. And one of the expressions I found fascinating, uh, I think it was because I was interested in the Navy at that early age, was loose lips sink ships. Loose lips sink ships. In other words, don't talk about ship movements because you might give the enemy the idea of where to attack. In other words, like I've seen some of you do here. Zip the lip. Loose lips sink ships. But here, loose lips are speaking plainly. And even though we don't read it here, you got to think that loose lips are praising God. Giving thanks. Loose lips praise God. Jesus made him whole. He restored him in some measure to what he was created to be. Notice the hearing, speaking order. We cannot clearly speak about Jesus until we have heard him clearly. I think one of the reasons why people are are scared and afraid to share Christ is they may not themselves really know Christ well. 
Because as you grow in hearing Jesus speak through his word by his spirit, you grow in confidence. You grow in an awareness that it's not your eloquence that's going to bring somebody to faith. It's the Lord's sovereign mercy. And yet you are called and commanded to go and tell. He hears and then he cannot but speak. Look at the Psalms. Hearing God speaking his praises, declaring his glory to the nations. Ask yourself right now, how am I hearing? How's my hearing? Am I hearing Jesus clearly? Am I speaking to others about him clearly? Those who have heard will speak. They cannot but speak. The condition of this man led to action being taken by both his friends and family as well as by Jesus. And Jesus' actions resulted in a complete healing. Now these miracles of Jesus always, always without exception, result in a response. There was never any ambivalence to any of Jesus' miracles. No one after seeing this whether you're an observer or the person just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said the Aramaic version of whatever. Whatever. No. Let's look at the response of the people, verses 36 and 37. The people cannot keep quiet. Jesus takes steps to keep it private, but it's not able to be hidden. Jesus would charge them not to tell anyone, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. This mix of people in the Decapolis, mostly Gentile, maybe some Jews there. But what do we read in verse 37? And they were astonished beyond measure. Literally, exceedingly astonished. It's a double superlative. It's a wasted word, but it's really not wasted. Because Mark is trying to communicate what is going on. People were astonished beyond measure. You can't measure their amazement at what has just taken place. They were amazed, but the question is, did they believe? We don't know. But what we do know this is in a short while, at the end, toward the end of chapter 8, Peter, Peter himself would make the jump from amazement and astonishment to recognizing the true nature of Jesus. Because it's through his confession, deaf Peter will hear and mute Peter will speak. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And how do the people conclude this? They conclude, He has done all things well. For those of you keeping track and keeping score in Mark, this is the exact opposite of what the scribes and Pharisees say in chapter 3, verse 22, when they say Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, and He's operating on the basis of the prince of demons. This is an echo and fulfillment of Isaiah 35. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ. It's the promise here of the eventual triumph of God's salvation in the world. It's a great picture of God's 
future kingdom, a picture of salvation, of the dawning of a new day, a new creation, a new world. And whether they realized it or not at the time, they acknowledged the fulfilling of the messianic promise that Jesus had come because God had promised to send a Savior. Jesus here takes metaphors of deafness and blindness from Isaiah who prophesied that at the true return from exile, spiritual deafness and blindness would be cured. In Isaiah 29, just a few chapters earlier, we read this in verse 18. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. They shall hear the words of a book. And Mark concludes this section all the way from uh, chapter 6, verse 31, on a doxological note. What do the people say? He has done all things well. I believe it's an echo of the end of Genesis chapter 1 where we read this. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. My friends, here is the new creation the restoration, and it receives the same acclaim as we read in the first chapter of the Bible. And it was very good. In commenting on this passage, a pastor and theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, writes this, What then did the people find so amazing? The most obvious thing was that Jesus had healed the man. But the manner in which he had done it was also extraordinary. He had done it quietly, modestly, and most of all, graciously. His sign language was, in a sense, an acted parable of the incarnation. He had entered into this man's world of silence and spoken the only language he could understand. And so we've considered the man's condition, Jesus' work, and the people's response. Just as the people's response culminates in their statement that Jesus has done all things well, let's take some time as we conclude to consider our responses to this incident in the life and ministry of Jesus. And in considering our responses, I want us to consider three pictures that are present here. First, we have a picture of our condition. Since the fall of man into sin, man is deaf to God. Sin has stopped up our ears, whether, we're, you know, whether, he, whether he's born deaf or becomes deaf. Either way, um, you're sinful from birth and you sin. I mean, it's, it works both ways. And so if you and I are to hear, it will not take the most highly trained ear, nose, and throat, head, and neck surgeon, they don't have the capability. It will take a miracle. In the words of Miracle Max, it's going to take a miracle. Some of you may be familiar with that. When you're deaf, trying harder doesn't work. No one gains hearing by trying harder. You don't believe me? Try it. So we have a picture of our condition, deaf. 
But second, we have a picture of the person and work of Christ. It's questions and answers one and two of our shortest catechism. It's the incarnation. God entered our world and spoke the only language we could understand. Hebrews 1 captures it well. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God spoke His written and His incarnate Word. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, we read in Romans 10. We walk by faith. In other words, have you thought about this? We walk by hearing, not by seeing. But one day, one glorious day ahead, we will will indeed walk by sight. And our hearing that's been opened now will be glorious opened as well as we are with the Lord face to face. So we've had two pictures, our condition and the person and work of Christ. But third, I believe we have a picture here of our salvation. Because deafness, I believe, is one of the accurate ways to describe our condition outside of Christ. And if that's true, then hearing is one of the accurate descriptions of our condition in Christ, we hear Him speak to us in His Word. When we hear, we speak plainly to God and to others, to others in the church and to others outside the church. I was flipping through the Trinity hymnal and I knew I had sung this before and I couldn't figure out where and lo and behold, how sweet and awesome is the place. Verse 3. Listen to this question. Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? In other words, the Christian knows that they didn't heal themselves of deafness. They know that they were given hearing by another. I hope all of us can or soon will be able to sing that. Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room? Finally, just remember in all relationships, hearing or listening goes both ways. Because I believe this text should be greatly encouraging to us. But you know what? It also cuts both ways because it may be discouraging to you. Why? Because now we're remembering the times that we have chosen not to listen to God and the times we have chosen not to speak to God or about God to others. Is there any hope for you and me who have blown it when it comes to listening to the voice of God? Yes. There is hope and it's found in the very message of the gospel. Jesus, the embodiment of the gospel that he himself proclaims, is among other things a radical reversal. We are called, even commanded, to listen to Jesus. But an amazing facet of the gospel diamond is what? Jesus listens to us. The one who spoke the world into existence also hears the words of man. 
the one who stills the storm with his words listens to the cries of his people. And he hears not only our initial, but our ongoing cries of repentance and faith. Hear the words to this song written by a Kentucky native. God, our Father, once again, I bow my head to pray. You are my Father and my friend, and you hear every word I say. A prayer for forgiveness, a desperate cry for help, or praise flowing from a thankful heart. Like each time before, I come knowing you're still listening. And so, my friends, wherever you find yourself today, listening well or hardly listening at all, go to God your Father, knowing that He is still listening, and give Him thanks that Jesus, His Son, truly does all things well. He alone can open your ears to hear His voice, and He alone can loosen your tongue to speak His praise. Can you hear Him now? Let's pray. (coughs) Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Your word that convicts us of sin, that comforts us in forgiveness, but then calls us to live a new life. Father, we acknowledge along with these people that Jesus does all things well. And so, Father, would you enable us to give him, to give you the glory that is due your name for creation for redemption as we look ahead also to the consummation of salvation. Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus who entered our world and rescued us so that we could now ascend to your holy hill, not be struck down because of our sin, but be welcomed into your very presence. Oh, Father, We thank you and give you praise for the glorious things that you have spoken and the glorious things that you have done. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.